Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I apologize. Um, <laughs> I told you the computer hard drive has been having issues. Well, uh, all the pre-done files I had for this show have disappeared, <laughs> so there's no intro today. I'm so sorry about that. I apologize. I have no clue what happened to them, and like I, I've been telling you guys, I just was able to replace, uh, uh, get the funds to replace my hard drive and get all that done, and uh, that's going to be happening over, over this coming weekend to get the hard drive replaced on here, but uh, that's the kind of stuff that's been happening. Anyway, we're here anyway. It doesn't matter. No biggie. We'll just continue from here, and uh, again, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue, we can get to you. It may take us a while because California is a huge state. But in the meantime, we do have mediums on staff that can talk with you about uh, what you think might be a paranormal issue. Not a problem, right? Okay. Anyway, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're watching from Facebook today and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that follow button. If you're watching from YouTube and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that uh so that, that, that subscribe button. We've got more than 680, I think 650 videos sitting over there. And uh, I think you'll find something that you like. In fact, to make it easier on you, I put the videos into categories like ghosts and hauntings. And we have a religious category, things like that. That way, if you're, if, if you're, if you're looking for something in particular, you can just go to that particular file and, and pull it up. Okay. Also, what I ask you to do is if, if you do like the show and you do like what you hear today, uh, please be sure to hit those thumbs up buttons, those hearts and, and the happy faces and all that YouTube, you know, no matter from where you're watching from, because what that does is that puts us in higher in the alg algorithms. And what the algorithm does is it puts us out to more people. Okay. So the more of those um, thumbs up things you give us, the better. Okay. Now we're on my show on, on this show today, rather <laughs> you can tell I was taken by surprise when nothing came up as far as the intro. Ah, uh, Catholic exorcisms. I grew up a Catholic and, uh, I've seen enough. I've, I've seen enough doing this uh, as a paranormal investigator for the last 20, you know, 25 plus years that I, I've seen enough of, of stuff. Um, as far as uh, what I felt have been demon cases, probably we've, we've run into maybe four over the years, you know, that, that, that I can say that I, I think we're, we're demon cases, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's rare, but I know the, the numbers, you know, a lot of people are claiming that the numbers of, uh, excuse me, demon cases are, are going up, and I don't know what the reason for that is. I'm not seeing a you know, professional explosion. But uh, as far as I remember, I think we've done three or four, and a couple of them were really, really, really wild cases that, that we were involved in. And each time I've had to do a referral to clergy, whether it's the Catholic Church or another you know, or another church, to come in and do a cleansing, or even, or even our staff shaman. So this means a lot to me. And, uh, and I think I'm like a lot of people, I grew up watching these watching these movies like The Exorcist. Uh, oh man, I think the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life is The Exorcist. And it's funny because when you're a Catholic, and and sometimes like my father, he was not a Catholic. My father um, kind of put religion off to the side, right? So I was kind of caught in the middle because my mother was was very Catholic. And it's funny how when you see stuff like The Exorcist, it all comes back to you. <laughs> Suddenly you're Catholic. Uh, you know, so suddenly it hits you. Oh my God, this is going on. Just like a, a story I have about um, covering a, uh, a Potter's Field funeral out in um, Woodland with my photographer. And uh, 
I get out of the car and in the end, the, the church bishops there. And I, I had no clue it was a bishop, right? All I know is that when I got out of the car and, and I don't know if this is disrespectful, I, I don't intend to be disrespectful about it, but when I got out of the car, I remember seeing him put on his, you know, the, 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 the sashes, the, the colorful sashes and the, and the pontiff hat and cap or whatever they call it. And I thought, Oh my God, this guy's a big, a big muckety muck with the church. So it all comes back to you from time to time. Okay. Enough of embarrassing myself. My guest today, Scott L. Smith, uh, calls himself the uh, Catholic nerd. I believe it's yeah, the Catholic nerd. You can clarify it. You know how I am about stuff. Anyway, I'm going to bring him in, and we're going to start talking to him about real Catholic exorcisms. I heard him on another show, and uh, there was stuff that he mentioned that I didn't even think about that, that that priests will do when they're out on these demon cases. So uh, let me shut up and get him on before I make a total, keep making a total, total fool of myself. Here we go. Hey, how's it going? Good to good to be with you. <laughs> I made a fool out of myself. <laughs> Tell me about you, sir. Uh, I'm a Catholic author. I'm also an attorney. So, um, you know, I have to do a lot of good things in my life to make up for being an attorney. So hopefully this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, I have this book, uh, Real Catholic Exorcisms, that goes through the, the historical uh, exorcisms. You know, there's plenty of good uh, authors out there, Catholic priests and mm-hmm. even not Catholic priests that are writing about contemporary exorcisms. Like you say, it does appear to be on the rise. Mm-hmm. Lots of good YouTube, like Father Chad Ripperger is an mm-hmm. you know awesome source. But yeah, yeah, I've got the real Catholic exorcisms. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell me about, I mean, that you call yourself a Catholic nerd. <laughs> that's right how does one become a catholic nerd well i think i think it to be if you're a catholic you're kind of a catholic nerd anyway <laughs> uh, i think uh it appeals to the the nerdy side of us because there's you know there's so much history there's just so much um that's knowable or that to now that you have to know all of these things to be a catholic but uh it's it's endless you know it just there's you can learn and learn forever and you never find a bottom. And if you're an insatiable kind of nerd, mm-hmm. like I pretty insatiable with my nerdiness, it's like, this is the one place I can go where I don't find an end to like, you know, mind blowing insights about, mm-hmm. you know, scripture, life, reality, whatever you want to, um, whatever it is. Well, like I said earlier, uh, my father, I think that, I think he came from Protestants. He, they were Hungarian, so I think, I think they oh, came from okay. Protestants. And then, of course, my mother was Catholic, so I was kind of caught in the middle. So you know, church to me was going uh, during the holidays and that, and then my, my mother would go, you know, on on her own, because my father didn't see a need. You know, there was no catechism in my life. There was nothing because my father didn't see the need for it, which is fine because I I believe what I believe in my heart. You know what I mean? It's not like I, I don't believe in it. So I, I figure I'm, I figure I'm okay with it, but. Um, I go more often than I used to, but there's yeah. just little things you get through your life that you don't realize is going to remind you of, of, of your background until, and, and, until you're right there. Like I said, when I, when I got out of the car and I saw the bishop and I thought, oh my God, mm. I had no idea what the bishop was, you know, it was a bishop. And my first thought was, my God, this guy's a big monkey muck at the church. He's got, he's got like the Pope hat thing going on. Yeah, you know, and, all yeah. this. and I thought, whoa, you know, so it, it does come back to you. you know, as you I get, was, uh, 
Yeah, it was, uh, you know, after COVID, it's taken us some time to get back bringing the Eucharist to nursing homes. And okay. I've been, uh, we just happened to be in a community with a lot of nursing homes. And so we went back uh, to a nursing home the other day. These people hadn't, you know, seen a priest, let alone a minister for a few years mm-hmm. to receive the Eucharist. And, you know, this one lady I was giving the Eucharist to, she um, completely, uh, com- you know, full on Alzheimer's. Uh, and you, but you show her the Eucharist and there's this dawning recognition. And then you start saying the, our father, the Hail Mary, and she can't remember maybe her name, but she'll join in, you know, with the, with the prayers and she'll remember the sign of the cross. You Mm -hmm. know, it's amazing how deep these uh, seeds are planted. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when we talk about exorcisms and stuff, I mean, the Catholic Church, like like you, I was raised a Catholic Church, you know, and 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 the pre and the Catholic Church saying, you know, we are the only ones that should really be doing exorcisms. Do you think it's okay, in your opinion, for other uh, religions to do exorcisms? I think that's, um, I think it's fine to a certain degree. You mm-hmm. know, if you find, if I think everybody that does either an exorcism or deliverance ministry uh, needs to understand when they're getting in too deep and, mm-hmm. you know, when to pass the torch to, uh, uh, one of the, um, uh, exorcisms I write about in my book, the exorcism of Emma Schmidt as in the 1920s, uh, a Capuchin monk, a Capuchin friar was the exorcist priest in that. And he says that, you know, exorcisms were performed a lot more frequently back in the twenties. Uh, mm-hmm. they kind of, People stopped believing in Satan there for a while. And he said that most exorcist priests don't live much longer than than two years once they start really getting that regimen of of exercise. You know, so, I mean, it's it takes a toll. Um, I uh, a friend priest of mine uh, was visiting an Anglican priest um, in in uh, just outside of London mm-hmm. and that. Uh, his life was falling apart. Like his, every one of his children, cause you know, it's an Anglican priest. So he's married and has children and every one of his kids had some kind of physical uh, morbidity, some kind of physical uh, disease or disorder. Uh, his marriage was falling apart, eventually did fall apart. Um, and my friend priest asked, well, why, you know, why is this happening? It turned out, uh, he asked him, are you, he knew he was doing deliverance ministries, mm-hmm. but he was doing them in his own home. His office was in his home. And, you know, you can't take these things home with you. That's no. when Adam Bly, who just put, and sorry if I'm saying too much, uh, Adam Bly, who just uh, published the exorcism files, I think, or the exorcist files. He's a, a lay person that assists in the diocese of Pittsburgh with exorcisms. And when he, uh, when he assisted his first exorcist priest, that priest asked him, are you married? No. Good. Um, do you have children? No. Good. Do you have pets? No. Mm -hmm. Good. Then you can help me. You know, otherwise those close people, and I'm sure you've seen it with paranormal investigations, everything close to you is in danger. Yes. Yes. The other thing I've seen, you know, when, when you look at the track record of paranormal investigations, not even so much, well, my team included, but I mean, over the years, and you look at the, the people that are in the higher position, you know, that, that have been around for a while, 
there's they're sick there's something you know something there's some ailment that's wrong with them i mean i ended up with congestive heart failure not knowing why oh, you know wow. not knowing why. like i said i've had four contacts i, I believe with with, with with demonic entities over the years you know i ended up with, with congestive heart failure and there's people on my team that have ended up sick as well so i mean mm. I, I believe it it does take a toll and people don't realize how much of a toll yeah yeah and that that's the only thing i say is if i think we can all be called to this ministry if you want to take it as a ministry or you know whatever service Mm-hmm. Um, just to just understand when when you got to call for backup, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell me, what, what you know? You wrote this book about Catholic exorcisms. How did you get the research done and all that? Um, you know, being a, a Catholic nerd, I uh, uh, I end up researching a lot of these things. I've always been interested in ghosts and supernatural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know as I I have a blog as well. And as I researched other things, uh, you know, these things kind of keep popping up, uh, keep getting led back to these stories, whether it's, you know, unbidden or whether it's just the Holy Spirit taking me in that direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I just I have a fascination with this. I try to uh, limit it. You know, I try not to dig, dive too deep. I got to come up for air and um you know, maybe a couple times a year, I can kind of put a book out like this. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, the question I have, going back to what you said about, you know, uh, the priest asking that gentleman, you know, whether he had wife and kids and all this, did you limit the times, you know, as you're working on this book? Because, I mean, that, that'll draw stuff in, too. Mm. Yeah. And so were you able to limit, like, where you did it and how you did it? I did not. Um, and that's probably a mistake on my part that I would readily admit to. I I did make sure, you know, when I do these, when I get into this kind of research, I do say I invoke St. Michael, the archangel. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at the beginning of the book, I um, include the prayer to St. Michael, the archangel. So I hope uh, I also uh, one of the other books uh, I've written that's maybe uh, a big, a bigger book mm-hmm. uh, is a consecration of St. Joseph. And uh, I think the amount of time I spent with St. Joseph uh, eclipsed what the amount of time I'm spending with this other stuff. And St. Joseph is called the terror of demons. That's one of the titles. When we pray the litany to St. Joseph, ask him for his intercession, mm-hmm. we call him St. Joseph terror of demons. And it's, that's kind of a fascinating is a fascinating reason behind, I don't know if you want to get into that, why he's called the terror of demons, mm-hmm. but I think maybe he's had my back. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. I did an investigation that the last, uh, well, not the last, the next to last demonic that, that I believe we did. Um, we walked in the house. I could see a, sh- a small shadow running down the hallway, mm. hitting, the, hitting the master bedroom and do an EVP session. And I pick up this voice that says, Gabriel, watch out. And I thought, we're in over our heads. <laughs> that was my thought. <laughs> Something is warning the angel Gabriel to watch out, and we're standing here like like idiots, like targets. You know what I mean? Wow. So, yeah. yeah that, that that was very um, excuse me. That was very sobering to have that happen. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so was it hard? Um, was it difficult doing the research on these uh, on these exorcisms? Oh no, it's fascinating, and um, it's I guess one of the things I went into writing this book 
was surely the the weird things in the in the movie the exorcist mm-hmm. um or even the exorcism of emily rose because mm-hmm. the the true story behind that movie is in my book as well um surely a lot of this is hollywood right you know uh the pea soup projectile vomiting the spider walking the crawling on the ceiling the the turning of the head mm-hmm. you know surely this or even like the vomiting up of you know crazy th- other things mm-hmm. the the in the book the exorcism by william blatty um you know words appear on uh the child's belly you know mm-hmm. it's one of the at that point you're uh it's pretty easy to diagnose this is right. not right this is not yeah this is something supernatural right right and i i just assumed in, that these were excesses that these were exaggerations and then come to find out they were not, you know, maybe the, the green hue of the pea soup, maybe, mm-hmm. but like I just, I mentioned a little while ago, the exorcism of Emily, of Emma Schmidt in the mm-hmm. 1920s in Iowa, the nun, like their uh, father Theophilus had a team of nuns with, with him uh, and, and, other, and men to hold her down, to hold down mm-hmm. Emma during the exorcisms and the nuns to take care of, Uh, you know, her physical needs. And she just, she kept vomiting. And these nuns were, were tasked fully with carrying out bucket loads of of vomit and just like just the worst smelling kind of stuff. And like she hadn't eaten this, you know, the child being exercised had not eaten anything over multiple days, but she was vomiting bucket loads. I'm like, it's just shocking that this isn't Hollywood, that Hollywood actually is is out of its depth when it comes to it, it. Even Hollywood can't live up to what is actually happening. When you talk about vomiting, though, I mean, like you say, she had eaten for days. Is, is, is that is that one of the? I mean, obvious signs that that, that that something's not right. You know, when when a priest goes in there and sees that. I I mean that's that was during the exorcism itself. So the right. you know the obvious signs uh, right. would would be precursors to that. For Emma, it was um, that she would uh, she be the Father Theophilus would put several different things in front of her, mm-hmm. um, not knowing which of the items was blessed. You know whether it's holy water or food that had been blessed, and she would react violently to the blessed items and, and, and not react at all to the unblessed items. That's, that's usually one of the diagnostic tools that priests or, or people that help priests will use. Um, I don't know if you've uh, heard of father Carlos Martins. He's got a pretty amazing, uh, not to advertise his podcast on your podcast, but it's right. pretty, pretty amazing. But he, uh, he just, dropped a little piece of like a, a fleck of holy water on the back of a man um, that had had an outburst in the confessional and uh, the man like transformed before him into, you know, his, his whole body arched backward like a cat. And he was like face to face His uh, father. Carlos was facing his back. And then suddenly the man's face was facing him, you know, like some kind of crazy yoga move or something. Oh, it, but the response to the the blessed items, knowing what you you know, other than supernaturally, you could not know right. what, yeah, right. Which I'm sure you've come in contact with that sort yes. of thing before. Yes, yes. Um, 
you got to give the priest credit. I mean, I mean, this is something that they have to do. Don't they fast before they they, they even do this? Right. Yeah. It it is not an easy undertaking. Um, they have to, you know, make sure that they've um, that they've adhered to the sacraments. Uh, that they've recently been to confession. You know, priests have to go to confession to another priest. Um, and priests will even say, like, the exorcism is a very powerful set of prayers, mm-hmm. but it is nothing compared to going to confession and going to Mass. Those are like nuclear bombs compared to what the exorcism prayers are. And so they they pray and fast, just like Christ says in the Gospels, that there are some demons that can only come out, some evils that can only come out by prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. And even then, you know, I, I'd love to give the priest credit, but they themselves will say, look, if we go into this thinking this is, has anything to do with our power, right? Mm-hmm. You're, they're going to be in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. They have to rely completely on, um, you know, complete resignation to the divine will. Um, in your studies on all this and writing your book, which, which exorcism stands out the most to you? Uh, the one... I just I go back to a lot as an inspiration is that uh, Annalisa Michelle, um, the the German girl that uh, her exorcism formed the basis of the exorcism of Emily Rose. Interesting. What does that stand out to you? Um, the thing that stands out because that one uh, is unique among exorcisms in that they did audio recordings of, I think it's over 70 or 80 exorcism sessions, weekly sessions with, with her. Um, and they became public in part because uh, the German government sued her parents for neglect, for allowing her to go to these exorcisms because um, ultimately uh, she did not survive long after the exorcisms. The exorcisms were successful, but um, it, the she had been so her body had been so tormented mm-hmm. uh, by the possession that. Um, and this is why in the in the movie, the exorcism of Emily Rose, you actually you, you see uh, the girl is uh, given the opportunity by the Blessed Mother to either remain um, possessed. Mm-hmm. or to be freed from the possession. If she, were, if she were to remain possessed, then she would do so and, uh, and bring greater glory to God and even bring people to faith mm-hmm. through her torment, you know, through the suffering that she would right. take on. Uh, and that's in the movie, and that, that's uh, what's reflected in the, in the record as well. But the sessions, audio session, sessions from her, exorcisms were made public because they became part of a court proceeding. And you can hear, you can hear the voices and all the various voices that came through her throat. Um, and it's haunting, you know, um, you know, who knows who's actually speaking, but one identifies himself as Judas, the Iscariot. Um, the other thing that because she is a very reverent girl, um, this is something that it wasn't like the other exorcisms where uh, somebody, you know, you had a, a curse uh, from a family member or uh, playing around with Ouija boards or something like that. This was a very reverent girl. Um, and and the devil hated that even the more so. And so during her exorcism sessions, 
um, she would repeatedly like the devil would force her to kneel, stand, kneel, stand, kneel, stand, like maniacally and constantly to the point that uh, the ligaments in her knees and the tendons ruptured. Oh. Uh, just, you know, heartbreaking, but uh, the, the devil was twisting her reverence. And um, so that, that always stands out to me. And, that, and there's even in the church, um, in, the, in the Catholic church has been put forward the cause for her canonization. Um, she's, uh, she's not a blood, you know, in the, the canonization process is several steps. Um, you begin as a servant of God, then venerable, blessed, and then finally saint. Uh, mm-hmm. if, uh, once the, the, the process has been proved and miracles have been verified, all that sort of stuff takes usually a very long time. And, um, that has been underway for her. And I don't, I don't know of any other, uh, person in Catholic history that, uh, except maybe, you know, maybe one of the, uh, maybe Mary Magdalene, right. Right. That has, um, a, a saint that, uh, whose saintliness and holiness was proven through that kind of torment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, it's just fascinating on so many different, so many different levels. I just find it interesting too, that, you know, you see this stuff on TV, you see this stuff in the movies and people don't really realize how long some of these exorcisms could take. Like you say, the priest went out 80 times to, to help her. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people imagine or visualize this process as like, uh, from like a boxing match from Rocky or something, uh-huh. you know, and like, okay, this is the night there's an announcer, you know, and Don King on in the middle of the, of the boxing ring. And we're going to go nine rounds, 10 rounds, 20 rounds, however long it takes until, either the priest or the devil drops, right? That's, mm-hmm. it's just not, it's, it's much, it's, it's similar to like a therapy session mm-hmm. uh, in that you go weekly, monthly, you know, whatever the schedule is set up and it's some of the process is routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's a full blown possession, that doesn't necessarily mean it's, um, you know, it's, it's not a, a wrestling match. Um, at least on the surface, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't look that way. Supernaturally, yes. In the spiritual realm, yes. But um, it almost can look boring sometimes from the outside. Do you think that, okay, as we're talking about, you know, um, maybe there being an increase in these things coming up, do you think there's there's something foreshadowing with that? You know, because it seems like you're hearing more and more about this stuff. Or is it just that there's books like yours out and maybe these movies that, that are making people more aware? I think I think there is kind of a some micro um, uh, micro effects, micro historical trends happening, and some macro trends uh, on the micro level. And speaking like decades, sure. Uh, and the macro speaking like centuries. Uh, on the micro side of things, we had in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties in the Catholic Church. It became kind of it went out of fashion to talk about the devil mm-hmm. as being an actual uh, entity, you know, mm-hmm. an actual fallen angel it began. Uh, it, it, we didn't really talk about any and Protestants too, um, that we talked about uh, the devil just being the, a personification of like social evil, mm-hmm. uh, things mm-hmm. like that, not an actual person uh, as he is. Um, so, there, I think, was a time when he was able to run amok a little bit more. 
on the on the century side of things, it's very interesting because when you look at when Christ came into the world, there was this this Pax Romana, right? The the Roman peace that lasted like three hundred years with a world there was no war, um, mm-hmm. both before and after Christ's birth, and that's unusual uh, mm-hmm. in in all of history. And you see that the uh, paganism, like his what I would, you know, the Roman religion, mm-hmm. um, that ended. Uh, the period of paganism came to a crashing halt. Um, just, just historically speaking, and it was uh, overtaken by Christianity. And and now uh, I think we we have witnessed, uh, not recently, the fall of Christendom. Right, that uh, Christianity is no longer um, the source of the law, uh, source of governance. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened a long time ago. Like uh, maybe one of the benchmarks there, one of the turning points there was like when Napoleon took the crown from the Pope and crowned himself instead of the Pope crowning um, Napoleon. You know, like the divine right of kings is not only is that gone, but so are kings, right? <laughs> Even though we just had King Charles III and the sure. coronation, you know. Uh, but a lot of that is just kind of surface level now. It's not what it, it used to be. And so when, Christ, when Christendom declines, uh, paganism does not. It ascends. So I think yes. we're, I think, uh, yeah, I think we're seeing, and we see a fascination with with witchcraft and those sorts of mm-hmm. things like Harry Potter, you know, kind of yeah. the child version of, of witchcraft. Um, so I think those are the, the micro trends and the macro trends mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now going back to um, these exorcisms now the catholic church just doesn't go in and, and start performing exorcisms there's got to be certain things that that have to be met like i know you know from experience and 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 say and, and, and getting a hold of priests to say hey look i think you might have an exorcism on your hands over here there's a lot yeah. of other criteria that they look at right 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 um and like Adam Bly, the um, who just you know just put a book out, he's a um, he's a person that has uh, his background in psychology. That for dioceses and multiple dioceses will have this, especially the larger ones, the archdioceses um, will have somebody on staff who will evaluate the cases brought to them. And it's not just Catholics. Uh, Father Vincent Lambert, um, another you know, well-known exorcist priest, American exorcist priest will uh, talk about how it's maybe 50% are Catholic. Now the other, other half could be Protestant or have no religion at all or, or Hindu, you know, or whatever. Um, and it's, it's a, it's often um, a rigorous process because, you know, the church is attacked, has, has suffered, has, has, um, in terms of abuse, uh, we have to be very careful that, uh, yeah, abuse has happened. Um, but even when, you know, we're trying to heal, we can still be accused of things as well. So we just have to, church has to be very careful. Uh, it's definitely one of the sad things that I keep referring to in that, that, uh, you know, sixties to the eighties is that with the decline of, of, um, people, talking about exorcism, performing exorcisms, the number of exorcist priests declined and, and who was trained to do this work declined. So 
It's typically you have one exorcist priest in each diocese, but the old idea was that it kind of rotated so that no one person would have to bear this for more than a certain amount of time at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like uh, Father Theophilus in the Emma Schmidt exorcism, he's a Capuchin priest, right? He's a priest of a specific religious order um, that uh, could even be cloistered, you know, and uh, having a cloistered priesthood, um, having uh, priests that are not, don't also have the duties of a parish priest, you know, that can focus on just this. Right. Uh, we don't have that as much. Um so, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. I thought there was a, a, a special training thing for exorcists as well. There, there is. Um, it's kind of twofold. You have um, in, in Rome, they will they'll, uh, take uh, priests being trained as exorcism priests, take them to Rome um, and have some courses of study there, uh, mm-hmm. do a little apprentice work, and then that apprentice work will continue um, back in their home country, uh, hopefully, you know, um, there's a great deal of art that goes on, um, with becoming an exorcist priest. Now, Grant, I'm not an expert in this. It's just right, right, you know, right. what I've, what I've seen consistently in sure. research is, um, you know, it's like any warrior, right? Like think of it like martial arts or something. Um, you know, you've got to have the right, the right trainer and, mm-hmm. and, if only because that trainer, that uh, uh, the 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 one who assists the apprenticed exorcist priest, he's got to find out what your particular charism is, what your particular strength is mm-hmm. in an exorcism battle. Um, some priests, for example, uh, are able to determine uh, have that get because you know, they do this with um, with divine light and. Mm-hmm. and and direction. And for example, one priest uh, will determine, you know, what it was that the specific for this fallen angel, for whatever demon is possessing a person, what their specific charge was, what they were created for, because every angel is created for a specific purpose. And that, that particular priest will find out like uh, one, one demon he was exercising, was there to announce the birth of Jesus, was created Mm -hmm. that he would be able to announce the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Mm -hmm. And he found out that whenever you um, sang a Christmas carol uh, in the exorcism, or even just said the words of a Christmas carol, it would make that demon much more manageable, right? It would make the demon lose control, you know, or... Uh, and so, you know, each priest kind of has a different w- ways of finding insights into who they're battling. Uh, another, um, another interesting one is, well, each, it's, it appears that each demon kind of has an opposite in heaven, not necessarily an angel, but a, um, an antagonist, mm-hmm. uh, for example, uh, like a saint that they just, uh, are particularly, offended by um one uh priest was exercising uh a demon that had been uh the one to incense the guards against saint thomas of becket the one that under henry the sec king henry the second of england was was killed in the cathedral 
I think it was Peter O'Toole or who I forget who's in the movie. It was a good, you know, Beckett, good movie. Um, but the a relic of St. Thomas of Beckett uh, was found for that exorcism, and it uh, was extremely powerful because you know, the relic had a, a blood, some of the blood splattered garments that St. Thomas of Beckett was wearing when he was killed mm-hmm. uh, was was the key to exor- exercising that person. It's just, it's just incredible, you know, how the training of exorcists, them finding their particular talents. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're does called it, for some reason, you know. Does it take, yeah, I was going to say, does it take a certain type of priest to do this, you say? Yeah, I think it's got to be, say, it would never, it would never be me, you know, because, hey, I'm not, I'm not a priest, but I'm too fascinated by this, right? right? It's got to be somebody who, it, almost has to be the, the priest that does not want to do this that is mm-hmm. is being called to do this right it makes a lot of sense just like the newspaper reporters to to stay down the center line because that you you will be tempted you know during these exorcisms so it yeah. has to be somebody that can that can hold that center line between the two right yeah oh man i'm a I, i'm a, a spectator you know i um i enjoy seeing the uh, the triumph of good over evil from afar, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's encouraging. It's, uh, uh, um, fortifying. How close to reality was the movie, the exorcist? Do you think? Um, uh, some superficial elements were changed. You know, it wasn't a girl. It wasn't, uh, was it Linda Blair? Uh, mm-hmm. it was a boy. Uh, he didn't live in Georgetown. Uh, you know, Georgetown university didn't live in right. DC. Right. Uh, he lived in um, uh, uh, Bunker Hill. They some people say it's Mount Rainier, um, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. Bunker Hill. And uh, th- those elements of the story came from William Blatty's own life because he went to Georgetown and had a great admiration for the Jesuits there at Georgetown. But um, you know, uh, more or less the oh the mother you know is an actress uh mm-hmm. in the in the movie and i think the book as well and you know that's not that's not the case mm-hmm. um but basically uh the rest is the same you know i think the ouija board and book and uh and book movie and real life was the culprit um and i you know learning why ouija boards are so uh seductive or why they're often at the the heart of the matter often mm-hmm. the culprit I, I was fascinated to learn that it's often because because you're giving over the power of your body, your hands, you know, to use the the Ouija board, and that that's that's extremely um, dangerous. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but anyway, to get back to your question, um, the uh, the diagnoses for the exorcism. Uh, oh, I mean, some big changes at the end. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the it's uh, Max von Sydow, I think, is the actor, the mm-hmm. old priest. You know, I need an old priest and young priest. Yeah. Um, who, you know, there's a Catholic nerd in me. He is in like every awesome sci-fi movie ever. You know, he's in Dune. He's in. Uh, 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 anyway, he's just this. He was in The Force Awakens. That's like one of his last roles. Right. Um, just an amazing actor. But he's as the old priest. He says in there, "Take me." Instead, remember remember that? And so right. the demon comes into that, you know, that would never, that is not realistic. That's that's Hollywood 
you know, and then I think one of the priests com- commit suicide after that, which obviously mm-hmm. that that's didn't happen either. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the priest who did the exorcism, I think it was more um, just kind of a, a blue collar kind of worker, you know, um, and that he's not it's not as dramatic on his end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He's just doing his job. Mm-hmm. So, well, you, we talked, or you talked about, you know, the the priest. Uh, I think it's I find it fascinating the thing you said about the blessed object or the blessed food mm. as a test, uh, uh, you know, of, of this going on. Are there any other tests that that, that that you can share with us or anything like that? Oh, sure. Yeah, one of the uh, other ones which is fascinating is is knowledge of of events or languages that a person would have no reason to um, uh, to otherwise know or have know about or have learned. Uh, I think most all the uh, exorcisms I describe in my book, the person has some, is uh, the possessed person speaking either, you know, biblical Hebrew or Aramaic, um, you know, not only a foreign language, but an ancient language. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emma Schmidt, uh, she that from 1920s Iowa, her community, there were a lot of Irish and German, you know, so she was in a polyglottal community, but, you know, they weren't speaking biblical Hebrew. So that that's the other um, uh, key diagnostic uh, symptom that, that, you know, cannot be faked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think those are the main ones. And then when I think about this, you know, from the psychological standpoint, I mean, the priests have a lot to look out for that way. I mean, because because they really have to be careful to make sure they're not dealing with a psychological case. Oh yeah, it, it, exactly. And that's why the the people that assess these cases uh, for the archdiocese tend to be psychologists. Like even um, you know, several movies now or TV series. Um, what's the one on? Is, uh, is it Evil? Is that the one? Where you're, it's a it's a seminarian, which is kind of odd because a seminarian is not going to be an exorcist, but mm-hmm. uh, and a psychologist that together assess these cases. I think they're trying to set up the the Fox and Scully uh, from X Files um, uh, uh, feel of it. So that's that's why they have them as a pair. But um, the yeah, that that is it has. That's why it takes so long for the Catholic Church to um, assess these cases because they have to make certain that uh, with the testimony of of an attending psychologist or, or psych- psychiatrist mm-hmm. that this is not this goes beyond the range of uh, you know the DSM manual. This is not a psychiatric disorder. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which movie bothered you the most out of all the movies that that have come out? Um, you know, I haven't seen the new one with Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. Um, that one would possibly could bother me the most. Uh, um, but of the ones I've seen, when you mean when you say bother, you mean like scared me the most, yeah, or like oh, most. this is this is inaccurate. Um, the one that's, I mean. I guess because I saw it as a younger child, um, and this isn't quite exorcism, but it's close, is yeah. Omen. You know, the yeah. Omen 1 through 50, right? <laughs> um, I saw, 
don't know the exorcism or the exorcist uh i really didn't i don't know why it just didn't scare me as much as a child i guess because i was like man priests are awesome <laughs> you know that's i guess i was just a warped child you know but uh, I think yeah. it was the exorcist that scared me I, out of all of them. That, that one really bothered me. Mm-hmm. Sleeping with the lights on afterwards, that kind of thing. It just really bugged me. You know, I'm fascinated by this topic because as a ghost hunter, you know, and, and thinking that we've never run, like I said, maybe four times we, over the last 25 years, you know, we've come in contact with, with something like this. Mm-hmm. It just fascinates me that that, that, that that the priests have the ability to go in and, and take this stuff on because, I mean, this stuff you know, like you say, it could cause sicknesses and stuff, but not only that, they, they lay in wait. I mean, he may get the thing out of, out of her or out of, out of whoever he's getting it out of, but the thing may wait, lie in wait to attack him later on, 20, 30 years down the line. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's, and that's why it, it almost has to be a priest because they are constantly getting fortified in the mass. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and not only that, they they have a sacrament that lay people don't have. They have the sacrament of holy orders. Um, that you know, is the it is I mean, other people can receive, you know, a that kind of ministerial call, but mm-hmm. this is like a legal, direct from Christ, uh um it's it's hard to say anything but ordination or, or sacrament. Um, but if we put it in secular terms, it's like a, a direct uh, commission from from Christ, legal commission, like a bailiff or something for God, um, because the demons are, you know, and I say this as an attorney, the demons are so legalistic, mm-hmm. right? Because what what the priest, for the most part, is doing is saying, you don't have a legal right to be here mm-hmm. and is reasserting the the legal rights um, ordained by Christ Himself, and that's that's what's that's what's crazy is that for all the horrible things that we do as humans, um, mm-hmm. there are some things that demons will not do uh, because they're bound by law. For example, one thing they w- will not do, like multiple exorcists have said that. And all their exorcisms, they have net they the demon has said all kinds of terrible things about the priest, you know, themselves, the church, the saints, but they cannot and never have blasphemed God. Hmm. I mean, isn't that shocking to think about? I mean, there's you go out, you go to Walmart, and you will hear God blasphemed maybe a thousand times, you know, and that's just a checkout. Right. Like the name of God is everywhere uh, cursed, you know, whether it's GD or, you know, various other, you know, words we put in front of Jesus's name. But the, but you will not hear a demon say that. Hmm. That's really, I, ne- I never heard of that. That's, yeah. that's absolutely fascinating. It is now, crazy. When you, when you look at these cases, is there anything common? And these, you know, that, that, these, that these people have in common that have been possessed. I mean, Ouija boards do come up right. a, a good bit. Yeah. Um, I, I love seeing, I'd love to say that a, her, a heroic priest is always, is always part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always the case. 
you know um uh the particular ones i covered is you know these are full-blown possessions Mm -hmm. and these are these people are have all been tormented their bodies have been tormented um and it's amazing um for especially most all the ones i wrote about except for um one the one in vervens uh that happened uh much longer ago that was in the 16th century they all happen to children or you know people that are not yet adults you know maybe older children in the case of annalisa michelle she's like 16 17 um Roland Doe, right, the the pseudonym that we call, uh, that we ascribe to the boy who was part of the exorcist, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the movie, uh, the one, the actual boy behind the movie, he went on to live a, an ordinary life, <laughs> you know, it, um, one, th- and this is kind of opposite, uh, answering your question in the opposite, um, one thing I wish we saw, I wish was consistent with every exorcism is that people having seen the power of God in their lives would then begin to live for God and their whole life would be about that. Mm-hmm. But you don't see that. That to me is one of the most shocking parts of exorcisms is that some people, and you know, hope you may see this as a ghost hunter. Once you know, you've, you've healed a house of, of torment or something or family um, people go right back doing what they were doing before that, mm-hmm. you know, that let this stuff in, in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. Father Lambert will say that unfortunately a lot of times priests, even though they've just demonstrated this amazing supernatural power, uh, these people will treat them like witch doctors, you know, or, or even less so, um, you know, in such a materialistic worldview, they'll seem like a pharmacist. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I went in, I got treated, I'm done. You know, go back, go back to doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a thing that uh, I wish was consistent about right. exorcisms is that people, um, these, these things would happen to them and it would change their lives and they go on to be great saints, you know, Catholic or not be, be a saint. Right. But you're right. I mean, I go through that as a ghost hunter. You know, we, we cleanse a house. And I always tell a client, I say, look, I know it's hard, but you have to not think about this. Yeah. You have to not go back to what you were doing that brought this on. And sometimes it's effective. And sometimes I get a call two or three days down the line saying, oh, my God, it's back. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's it's very difficult to do that. And I, I, I can only imagine with an exorcism because people, not, not so much the person that was exercised, but the people around them are afraid of what happened. Yeah. And I mean, the second you look at that person, what are you going to do? You're going to think, oh, my God, I, I wonder if, it, if it's going to come back or, or what's going to happen. And so it, it starts drawing stuff back in. Yeah. And that I mean, Christ himself talked about that in Scripture, mm-hmm. that w- once you clean the house, if you don't then change your life, that demon's going to come back with seven of his friends, all mm-hmm. the more powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's when you get you get infestations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Do you think scary. now because of TV and stuff, and, and this is just, an, and I know you're not a priest, you know, I, I realize that, but just, just looking at, at, at the research you've done with these exorcisms, do you think that TV has really hurt 
hurt a lot because I mean, you see a lot more people practicing. I call it hoodoo hoodoo, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Practicing practicing those arts and, and playing with the Ouija boards and and all this. Do you, do you think that TV has has hurt that and 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 kind of like added to this increase? I I don't know. It's hard to describe this phenomenon that we are fascinated by these things on TV, mm-hmm. but it that's just something that can happen on TV. That's not real life. Right. Right. For most people, their experience are real life um, because that's where we are in human history is like supernatural doesn't exist. Right. All, all that exists, you know, heaven and hell don't exist. All that exists is just uh, what we can prove in a test tube in a Petri dish or mm-hmm. those things we can see and touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have this weird psychological phenomenon of, yeah, I, I love watching that show Supernatural. I, I don't really. I feel like I that can lead me down a dark path, too. But, you know, they'll watch these shows about these things. But somehow, instead of attacking that strange divide in our brains, it will reinforce it <laughs> that we can bl- love these stories about the supernatural, but not live our lives as though they exist. Right. And I, don't think, and I don't think it helps. And I don't think it helps going into Barnes and Noble and seeing the occult stuff that they sell. And I know I was in there. I don't know if they still sell this in this particular color, but I know I was in there a few years ago and they actually had a, Ouija, a, a, a child Ouija board that was pink for girls. Oh yeah. It scares me. I mean, it's scary. Yeah. You know, it is. Don't realize, people don't realize what happens when, when, when they open that door because it's, it's hard to close that door once that door is open. And you don't know what's coming through. Absolutely. Or, um, you know, because uh, I'm a father. I have six children, you know, mm-hmm. and I I want to protect them. Um, and we have, you know, we have things we can do as mothers and fathers um, because the demons are, are legalistic, mm-hmm. that we have uh, authority over our children and our property. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those things, you know, these days, you know, a lot of people are under that sort of things under attack, but the demons respect the authority over our property and our children. So, uh, we can, we have ways of protecting our kids. Um, and it's interesting how the demons are geographical, right? Like the Bishop, uh, has geographical authority over his diocese to, um, all the, Demons in that diocese are under his thumb, whether they like it or not. Hmm. And each priest in his parish, you know, as that subset of the diocese, he has authority over the diabolical in his parish. That's why, you know, we'll have a, a priest bless our house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's just a beautiful cleansing of this whole, of all the geographic area I own within my parish, you know, my, my priest, um, it's, it's a hierarchy down to me and my own little plot of land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I worry about my children, um, you know, going to Walmart, going to Barnes & Noble, seeing the pink, the pink Ouija board. Or, or I think Walmart even gives you like a, will sell like a, a witch starter set for kids or something like that, you know. Um, it's, it's scary. Um, but that's because paganism's on the rise. Yeah, right. And we're being more and more desensitized to it. 
Yes. Yeah. As far as as far as it's concerned, let's talk about levitations now because I know, <laughs> sure. you know you hear the stories about these levitations. Do they actually occur during exorcisms? Oh yeah, um, I, I love the story, uh, and there's multiple stories of this. You know, are people just launching themselves onto the ceiling or something like that? But I love the the more mundane story of Father Gabriel Amorth. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Russell Crowe movie that just came out is about is about him. Mm-hmm. Who's, you know, you can read his books, The Story of an Exorcist. Uh, I don't think he would appreciate necessarily the movie that came out. But anyway, uh, he, a uh, couple of priests that he trained, a couple of exorcist priests that were trained by him. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was when he was being trained by an old, I think, Franciscan exorcist mm-hmm. priest. Um, the, the possessed person just started rising up out of their chair and the guy just his hand on the priest just put his hand on the shoulder and put him back down in their chair. You know, like this, this happens. It's just, this is just, uh, you know, this is just like working at the, taking out the trash and every once in a while, some, some trash flies out the top of the garbage truck. It's just pick it up, put it back down. You know, it's just, just common occurrence. When um, you looked at the cases that you've looked at, how hard, I mean, it's, it's gotta be hard on the families. You know, because when you think about the exorcist, they, they, they had her tied down on the bed. I mean, if that's what it was, yeah. if that's what they did. Mm-hmm. So when, when you've looked at this, is there any account, you know, as far as what the priests report about the families? I mean, what are they going through? Well, yeah. And oftentimes you just can't do this without without the family's participation, or at least the spouse's participation. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, as Catholics, um, that, that sacramental union, uh, we share in each other's blessings mm-hmm. and the other side too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, yeah, that's a whole nother topic, but uh, I, you know, I've read about several exorcisms where the, you know, if it's the wife that's possessed, the husband's the one holding her down. Um, and I mean, just legally speaking, you know, it's, it's much safer for the priest, not uh, or anybody working for the church to be the ones holding the person down. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the church has been accused of things that did happen, but the church has been accused of things that didn't happen or mm-hmm. that, you know, the church has money, resources, land. So we have to be careful about these things. Um, so it's, it's essential that the, the spouse take part in it physically speaking, but spiritually speaking as well, because if, it could be the spouse that brought this in the house and not the person possessed. Right. And like we said, if, 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 if we are not a united front um, and, and blocking evil from our house, it can come back sevenfold. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, I, and I told you in, in my book, the exorcism of uh, Annalisa Michelle, mm-hmm. um, her parents uh, were ultimately, um, convicted of neglect um, for subjecting her to these exorcisms, even though there's all sorts of documentation that she freely consented of this. It was recorded that she freely consented to this of her own free will. Um, they were to blame for her basically uh, starving to death. Uh, but it it's because the demons wouldn't let her eat. It wasn't because her parents were, were starving her. You know, it's... Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what the diabolic wants to do. They want to bring everybody down. 
not just a particular person. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know if that, and we kind of, we talked about yeah. earlier about that Anglican priest, you mm-hmm. know, that brought it home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it hard to, I mean, like, 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 like when these priests go out, how can they not bring it back with them? How does that work? Because I mean, obviously that thing is going to attach to whatever it's going to attach to. I mean, once it's released and it goes back out in the universe, it goes right back out in search of something. You know, I don't know if I'm necessarily equipped to answer that question. I have some <laughs> theories, sure, um, but that's all. Uh, sure. I think it's kind of what I've said before that the the priest says mass daily, uh, almost daily, right? right. And uh, there, you know, the requirements of even a diocesan priest that right. they recite the liturgy of the hours daily as well. Um, their life is steeped in the liturgy. And they are frequent. They frequently go to confession, and you know, not only are they not opening that door, but they are. You know, uh, when when you take the Eucharist inside, when you take Jesus inside you, you know, you can't. Uh, it, it's an exorcism in itself, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think they are so well fortified. Um, and especially those that live in a cloister, because uh, I, I went to seminary um, and I, I realized at some point that God was not calling me to become a priest. But even though I left seminary, I left knowing full well that I was leaving like an Eden like experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was a Jesuit. So we had you know, we lived in community with with our brother priests or brother seminarians at that point. Uh, and that wasn't always easy, you know, other people, whether they say hell is other people. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that life of prayer and mass and uh, rich prayer experience, like all the time and quiet and peace. <laughs> I mean, th- this is a garden in which no evil flower can grow. Right. I agree. 100%. So what's next for you? Um, I am writing, this is pretty cool. Um, I'm writing a book right now on near death experiences. Oh, cool. Um, there has not been any major comprehensive book on near death experiences from a Catholic perspective. Uh Uh, So that book, maybe by the time your listeners are hearing this, if they're not hearing it live, um, that'll be published by Sophia Institute press. And, um, it's, I, I went into this being like, I don't know about near-death experiences. I, I was kind of a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, God, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to provide me with the stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And he really has. He's really come through. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting when you tell uh, something from a Catholic perspective, it's almost like saying you're telling it from a historical perspective. It's not just contemporary accounts. Mm-hmm. You're bringing in 2,000 years, even and, and even into the Jewish uh, roots of our faith, three, 4,000 years of, of history of these sorts of things happening. So uh, Padre Pio, uh, if you've heard Padre Pio of um, uh, St. Pio now, uh, he comes up in a lot of people's near-death experiences. It's uh, It's been, uh, even St. Teresa of Avila, uh, who's this beautiful saint, um, she died for like four days um, and her sisters had covered her eyes in, in wax, you know, like, like they would do back in the day. And they had said her funeral mass and everything. And 
she comes back. <laughs> you know, just some extraordinary tales through history um, of these, uh, you know, experiences of heaven and hell. Absolutely. What makes your book stand out from others? Um, so I try to be a little bit subversive, <laughs> which might sound funny coming from, you know, this like straight laced Catholic guy, but, um, I, uh, there's a lot of books out there that I think are told to, for jump scares, to scare people. Right. Um, and, and kind of like the TV shows, not really, um, bring people and not really enrich people's faiths. Um, and so my book, I kind of make it look like, uh, other books out there. Um, but like I say, it begins, has a prayer of St. Michael at the beginning. Uh, and it, it is reverent to the Catholic tradition and to Catholic priests, which, um, you know, you have kind of a mixed, a mixed bag of that, uh, with other books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, from that perspective, I, I'm trying to reach those people that are fascinated by this stuff, but maybe not always for the right reasons. Right. Uh, but in, in, I don't mean that my book's a trap, right? In the Admiral Akbar, it's a trap kind of sense. Right, right, but, right. Uh, you know, I, I tried to uh, bring him in. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I learned so much today. Awesome. And I've been looking forward to this since since we booked. And, and uh, yeah, I would love to get you back on to talk about your next book. I mean, that would be fascinating. Sure. For sure, yeah. From the Catholic perspective. But thank you so much. And uh, do you have a website or anything like that? Yeah, I do. Uh, you can go to thescottsmithblog.com. Okay. okay. Uh, thescottsmithblog.com. And that's got uh, all my books on there. Uh, probably got like 30 or something now. It's I, I don't even know the number. Um, but that's kind of a central home. But And, and thank you so much for having me on. It's been, it's been lovely talking to you. And I appreciate our time together. And I appreciate you coming on. And let's have a shout out for your book again. That's it. Sure. It's uh, Real Catholic Exorcisms, True Ghost Stories and Hauntings. You know, I kind of give that uh, uh, clickbaity title, but yeah, Real <laughs> Catholic Exorcisms. Fantastic. And people can get that at Amazon, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and I should tell you, um, it's an audiobook now. Um, Alan Turton, a, f- a former BBC narrator. Uh-huh. Um, read, uh, made into an audiobook. He, he's a narrator, and his voice is is pretty scary. His voice <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So check out again, the audiobook. Again, thank you so much, and I do, the, the, let's make it a point to get together when when your other book comes out. Let's do it. Okay, sounds good. Well, you have a good rest of your day, sir. You too. Take care. Right. Bye bye. All right, I learned so much today about cat about the process and everything. I mean, like I said, probably in the last 25 years, we've come across four. I've had one follow me home and scratch me, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, it's always fascinating to read. And I've read part of his book, and it's it's a great book. So if you guys want a really good read about, you know, Catholic exorcisms, this is the book to do it with. Okay, tomorrow we're kind of shifting gears. And I've decided um, something a little different on, on, on Wednesdays is that, you know, we talked about the uh, opioid crisis here in the United States uh, a week and a half ago or so. And I kind of gave you guys my own insight into it from my perspective. Well, we're going to talk about it tomorrow with Karen Clark again. And I have some new stuff to, to discuss with you. I'm really trying to get the word out about this and, 
and and it's it's not the doctor's fault and i know this it's 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 the system and i want to get the word out as much as i can to people about what's going on so i'm gonna do something tomorrow i'm gonna make an announcement that's gonna be kind of different that that's uh very personal to me and close to me all right I, like you know so I'll, I'll go over that tomorrow but that'll be 6 30 p.m pacific um here right here right here you know facebook and youtube and all that but i do want to get that going and I, like i said i do have some new stuff to share with you and karen does too so i think we're going to make this a monthly thing maybe and just go on once a month to talk about that subject uh, and again i'm trying to get the word out so i will see you guys tomorrow at 6 30 p.m pacific for that okay all right so that being said if you like the show and you're watching from facebook please be sure to hit that follow button if you like the show today and are watching from YouTube, please be sure and hit that subscribe button. We want to build up our subscribers. We're 398 away from 1,000, which is where we want to be. At. We're going to hit that 1,000 mark soon here. Um, actually, we're 300, what? Oh, 397. Thank you, producer. We're 397 away. <laughs> I hate numbers. Okay, so you can find us on Facebook under California Haunts, Paranormal Investigation Team, or just California Haunts. If you want to join our meetup, uh, that's California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team over at meetup.com. All free to join up. That's where we announce all our classes, like the upcoming class for June 10th that we're going to have at 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh, you should check that out. It's, it's all about protection. Um, I'm going to teach you guys how to make talisman and things like that to, as you can carry around or, or hang in a doorway of your house, you know, just, just so you get that extra protection. So I'm going to teach you guys how to do that. Uh, also meditations and all that stuff. So check it out. That's over at the California Haunts Meetup. Uh, we've also got a TikTok, and that's under California Haunts. That's all over. K that, that's yeah. <laughs> I'm like totally confused, Dave. Uh, that's uh, California Haunts over at TikTok. Um, I, we are over on Instagram under Ghosty Gal. That's all lowercase. We are on Twitch, and I believe it's Cal it's, it's, it's Cal Haunts at Twitch, and we're Cal Haunts on TikTok. So I mean, we're everywhere. All right. So so if you want to get a hold of me for a possible haunting in your house or, or stuff going on or, or whatever you want to talk about. That's the way to do it. Just like there is a community page over at YouTube that you can contact me as well. So there's all kinds of ways to contact me. All right. I want to thank people for the, their donations. And like I said yesterday, a gentleman from Arizona donated. And I really, really, truly appreciate that. Everything goes towards my hard drive. It's all going back on my computer. All right. Well, that being said, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I hope you like the show as much as I did. Um, I'll try and get this gentleman back on when he has his new book out because I think it's great. Ah, yeah, the Patreon. Thank you. So my reminder for the Patreon, we do have a California Haunts Patreon page. And uh, we're just getting that up and started. And uh, when I do a pre-record, uh, the idea is that I'm going to release those two weeks ahead of time just for the Patreon people to, to see, you know, my Patreon members. And then I'll release it out to the, the, the main show for you guys to watch on YouTube. All right. But that's one of the perks of the Patreon. Plus, we're going to be doing some giveaways over there. And maybe maybe when he writes his other book, maybe, maybe we'll bring him over there, you know, as, as a special guest. So some of our guests that, that are more popular that, that, that you guys like, we're going to ask him to come onto the Patreon and do one, do, do like an hour's worth of one-on-one -on -one with you. And you can ask questions and, and maybe, you know, maybe during the main interview, there were questions that you wanted to ask and were kind of shy about or something. Well, this is the way to do it. Okay, so check us out at patreon.com, California Haunts. All right, guys, I'm going to shut it down for the day. I will see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great one.